Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John LaCombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz. Run up the scores, Kauspo. Uh It's Tuesday after the game on Saturday and my voice still hasn't come back. Uh, that's how much uh, cheering was done at, at, the, at this game. Northwestern, 38. UTEP, 7. UTEP scored on their first drive. Didn't score the rest of the game. Second half adjustment. I mean, there's so much we can go into. And, and we will. I mean, just but just to start off, breaking this 12-game lose streak, breaking this, like, two-year no-win-on-American-soil streak, I mean... It's just nice to celebrate a win. It is nice to celebrate, and we are going to celebrate. And I think it it doesn't mean that there aren't still like a lot of problems with this team. It doesn't mean that we're going to come out and tell you that we think they're going to beat Duke. We know like that's going to be a hard lift. And I don't I don't I don't say this to throw any cold water. It's just like we're going to celebrate the shit out of this win, um, while also recognizing that this team's still got you know a journey ahead of it. And uh, but hell, they 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 played and coached phenomenally. There, you know, we're going to call out some very distinct things that that we saw Saturday relative to past Northwestern football seasons, and um, I just like it. Just feels really good. I I I'm in I'm in a good I'm in in a very good mood. I'm going to tell a story. I promise I'm going to land the plane on this, so I'll move quickly because this is not going to seem related. But again, Buck, buckle up, I'm, friends. I'm in, I'm in a good right, mood, go. baby. Um, this is a Northwestern story. The sophomore year of my of our time at Northwestern, <clears throat> I went to Cancun for spring break with two friends, one of whom, Matt Heist, friend of the pod, dear friend of both me and Scuzz, um, went to Cancun with two other guys, but we were all on three different flights. I was supposed to meet up with one guy at a connecting flight in Charlotte, and then we'd both fly to Cancun. And those two flights to Cancun would both arrive at 1.30 in the afternoon. But of the three total flights, the only one that worked was my flight. The other flight coming out of my friend Tim, coming out of Greensboro, was delayed just long enough for him to show up at the gate in Charlotte at the last second and find out they gave his seat away. So I had to wave goodbye to him, get on a plane, and fly to Cancun by myself. Meanwhile, Matt's flight was also screwed to high hell, and his wasn't going to arrive anytime soon. So I arrived alone at 1.30 in the afternoon in Cancun. For all you youngins, this was... The dark ages when not everyone had a cell phone. So there was no real way to coordinate. So So you just went to Senior Frogs and hung out for a while, eh? We spent a a lot of time at Senior Frogs, but not that day. That day, I took a cab to the hotel, which I booked. And again, pre-cell phones, there was no way for me to coordinate and make sure these guys even got to this place. So I took a cab all the way into Cancun, dropped all of my stuff off at the hotel, turned around, went back to the airport and sat on my ass and waited. And I waited from like two in the afternoon until like 9 p.m. Waited there on my ass in the Cancun airport for like seven hours until Matt's flight finally arrived. And then the two of us sat on our ass for four more hours until at 1 a.m., Tim's flight arrived. And at 1 a.m., 
the three of us stumbled out of that airport toward the cab line. And there was one of those van cabs. And we all sleepwalked into this cab. And the cabbie looked at the three of us. And he said, you boys look thirsty. And he reached down to a cooler on the floor of the van. And he pulled out three ice-cold Coronas. And he handed one to each of us. And if you watched this damn Northwestern UTEP game, you know what that beer tasted like. Because that (laughs) is what this game tasted like. It tasted like sitting on a floor in the Cancun airport for like 11 hours and then getting the most delicious Corona you ever had in your life. You can only appreciate a win like this if you had to sit through everything we all had to sit through, all of that streak leading up to this. So again, this is my happy, goofy story of just how good this one felt for all of us who waited so flipping long to get one this delicious. You you landed it. I I wasn't sure where it was going, but <laughs> it was. You, she you, was you circling. Home. She was circling. She was circling in the clouds for a while. Fuel was getting low, but we brought her. We brought her home. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, and I I know just talking to a bunch of people afterwards and just the excitement around it. I mean, like this was this is a big deal. I mean, we were. It's not. It's, we know it's not a very good team. We know that, and that, and like that. That's neither here nor there. But we we talked about all the other stuff that's gone on. But like on that day, we came out, and not only the defense really stepped up, but the second half adjustments that we saw. I mean, we went into halftime seven seven. It was just sort of like okay, both both teams you know scored touchdowns on their first drives, and then it was sort of a rock fight back and forth from there and then coming out of halftime something changed and the pieces started to click and all of a sudden the offense came alive oh yeah i mean i look i can't wait to just for us to work through the story of this game because it's such a just well, where, where, where should we start let where, where do you guys want it's start? a rich test i mean first of all from two 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 big picture things one do not lose sight of the fact that UTEP, A, was favored in this game for most of the week, right? Until I think Stanford Steve picked Northwestern and that shifted the line just back in our favor, I think, really game morning. But for most of the week, we were dogs. And second, UTEP was the number one total defense in Conference USA last year and the number two run de- run defense in the conference. And they're the number two run defense in the conference right now, even after this game. They're a good defensive football team. So that's the first thing. And the second big picture thing is, in his second game as a head coach, David Braun took Dana Dimmel apart in this game. And we're going to get to how. But our guy totally outcoached their guy in this game. Um, and I think the, the starting place on this, I think, is... From a defensive standpoint. So last time, you know, we led with offense and then and got to defense. And it, it, we did that because we wanted to kind of have a slightly happy ending at the end. In this case, it's all happy. But we should start with the defense because <clears throat> there you can look and see what Dana Dimmel was thinking coming into this game. 
which is he had all this background noise for the past two years telling him Northwestern couldn't stop the run. But he had all of this noise in the foreground of Rutgers tape screaming at him that Northwestern couldn't get to the quarterback, which, as we discussed last year, last week, in certain subtle but critically important ways, that was not totally true. But he came out in a, in a game, their first drive, they clearly had it scripted. It was a run-pass dynamic battle like with a lot of misdirection, a lot of play action, and really took us apart and scored a touchdown and then basically did nothing the rest of the game. And part of the root of that is that after that first drive, which again was clearly scripted, they just thought they were going to be able to throw. And you saw Braun start to realize what Dimmel's thinking was. And then Braun started to take him apart piece by piece. And we had talked about like in the, in the last game, even when things weren't working, we were like, Braun's trying a ton of stuff out there. In this game, I mean, first of all, there, there were three base Northwestern packages. We could call like regular, which is Rod Hurd effectively as a third linebacker and Coco back at safety. And then what we'll call heavy with Kenny Soares coming in for Coco. Rod goes back to safety. Kenny plays linebacker. Call that heavy. And then light where Jaheim Joseph comes in for Coco and Rod stays downhill, and that's more of a pass coverage, that's just overall personnel. That's not counting the 50 different combinations he tried on the defensive line. Braun is working all the time to figure out every single... And as even the first half... Let's let's quickly compare and contrast that to 2021. Mm Mm-hmm. When John O'Neill, Jim O'Neill, I always still do it. When Jim doesn't O'Neill matter. doesn't matter, call him whatever you want to matter. Yeah. It, he 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 had a he had thirteen linebackers in his linebacker room. The linebackers were really struggling with speed, closing gaps, tackling, etc. And four of those thirteen guys got any sort of meaningful playing time, and it was really just yeah. three. And right. so, like, just compare and contrast those those two things. Think about young players playing early. Think about a willingness to try things, to to explore, to be wrong, and admit that, and come back the next week with a different approach and a different plan. The the, the hubris and the arrogance that we've seen from Northwestern in the past was shattered this weekend in the I mean, most like impressive oh, yeah. and pleasing fashion. Absolutely. And I mean, it's just the sense of someone furiously working play to play to figure this thing out. And what you saw happen, even by the second quarter was you saw Braun start to go, Oh, he doesn't want to run. He thinks he can throw all day. And you start to see the amount of guys Braun considers to be his pass rush specialists, pass rush specialists start to slowly tick up. Saka starts to play more, and then Pate starts to play more. Soars goes down and plays on the defensive line. You and then you start to see 
two of these guys every series. And then it starts to be three of these guys every series. And the second it starts to be three of these guys, all of a sudden Northwestern can get to the quarterback. And it was a mix of that and also Braun going, I can take Gavin Hardison apart. And he absolutely did. We put a gif of it up online. But the Bryce Gallagher interception was a beautiful piece of coaching. He just suckered Hardison into throwing that ball right to Gallagher. It is designed to look like a four-man rush with, honestly, I actually wonder if the personnel he put on the field to rush the passer on that play was designed just so Hardison would get the ball off because the pressure had gotten really good. And the three linebackers, again, counting Hurd as a third linebacker, they all look like they're settling in shallow to mid zones, just like linebackers would. Just a nice umbrella zone, but it's not. It's Mueller and Hurd settling there to sucker you into the fact that Gallagher's going to do it too. And Gallagher just drifts right back into that Tampa 2 deep zone and just waits and Hardison feeds it right to him. It, you can watch it on the... Re- yeah. It's like the linebacker version of the old Hank special uh, exactly. where, where he'd drop um, like Gaziano or somebody into that short zone unexpectedly. Right. You can, And if you watch it side to side too, it's even better because you can just see you you as a passive watcher are like, oh, well, there are the linebackers in there. Nope. One of them's deeper. And then like you see it right when he picks the ball off. It was plays like that. He was just starting. And then like, other little things defensively are happening in tandem with this. Like, Anto Saka is drinking the blood of his enemies and getting stronger on every single play. <laughs> that guy was a revelation. He, he, had, he, looked, I mean, he I, looked better and better every, like, as the game went on, you could just see it. It was coming right. together for him. It was awesome. Absolutely. And, like, one thing is you look at Hardison's numbers, he threw for 192. Understand, 36 of that 192 was on that prayer play at the end of the first half where the guy got one toe on the sideline and then they missed the field goal. And on that play, Saka obliterates the protection right up the middle of the field immediately, and Hardison just bails and chucks a prayer. Um, It was, and then in the second half, it just totally clicked into place. Like, in the second half, Braun, you could just see, he was like, I've got you now. And you like you're not going to commit to the run. I've got you dialed in. I know the exact personnel I'm going to put on the field, play to play on the defensive line. Um, I'm going to suck. He suckered him into another. They like uh, McNamara was on the field. Oh no no no, it was Hardison. Suckered suckered Hardison into another pick to Mueller. Um, and just like it was just the just a guy in his element orchestrating. And again, is it a from a defensive perspective? Does this all solve the big primary thing that the run, we know the run is a big issue and did UTEP have success with the run early on and did they chuck that out the window? Yes, <clears throat> that all well, is is a monster lurking out there. But, but I mean, like the bottom line is Braun looks like a guy defensively where you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. This is a good defensive coach and we haven't had one for a couple of years and it's nice to be back there. Um, it's really nice to be back there. And like, this is what, this is what hiring, like, I I can't tell you the number of people who complained every time 
there was a new coach announced for Northwestern over the summer. Like, oh, you know, FCS coach, this is what we need. This is like, these guys don't know what they're doing. Like, step back, take a look. This is what bringing in young, dynamic coaches who are on the cutting edge of football strategy and scheme and coaching, this is what it looks like. Take a gander. It's awesome, folks. And finding the right guys who are up and coming. Like, I like. I will continue to say a lot of things about Fitz this year that are that are not so positive, but like the hires that he made this past offseason were pretty darn good across the board. Um and Braun, you know, tops that list. Um now I like I want I want to go back to that first drive because it was like you said, John, it was scripted. Um UTEP got 30 of their 104 passing yards or uh, rushing yards on that drive. So, you know, almost a third of what they they ultimately rushed for on the day. They averaged six yards a carry that opening drive. They averaged three over the course of the game. Um certainly some of what you heard John John describe and some of, of the, the the stats that I just talked about on the running side are dictated by the way Northwestern's offense put UTEP in a hole. They had like by the time we get to the fourth quarter, right? They had to throw the ball. Um but the other interesting aspect, like they ran a lot of pistol that that opening drive, there's misdirection, et cetera. They got away from that. They they started doing a lot of running from the spread. Other teams that are going to run from the spread, Wisconsin, Purdue, like d- these are some rays of hope and some rays of light that that like like the rest of the year, Northwestern's going to face some really tough rushing attacks, and it'll be really interesting to see what we can do in 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 those spaces where somebody like an Iowa is trying to just cram the ball down our throat. Um, but in other situations where that's not what's happening, like there, there's some interesting things to look at. And to John's point, you can, you can expect Braun to be dishing and dialing every possible thing you can come up with, um, throughout the course of the year. And that's just a, that's an exciting place to be at least it like it, it make, it will make watching some of these games, even though we might not be able to stop teams, we might lose. It'll make watching these games fun. Right. I mean, and like you watch, like we came out of that first game being like, oh man, like Sokka was pretty decent when he was on the field. Pate was pretty decent when he was on the field, but Sokka and Pate looked like really good. And then Braun's like, what about Sokka, Pate and Richie Haggerty? How would you like that? Like (laughs) if you're going to throw, I'm going to. And I mean, like the individual superlatives to Richie Haggerty, this is a guy... I feel so much better about the Howard game in particular because I'm like, I don't think Richie Haggerty lets us lose a game to an FCS football team. I'm like this, like you see where you're like, oh, I mean, like, are you the biggest, strongest or fastest defensive end at the FBS level? No, but his technique's awesome and his motor is crazy. And you're like, oh man, you put that guy at the FCS level where like he's as big as just about everybody. And it's like, yeah, that's why he was first team all Missouri Valley conference. It's he's, and then you see, and it's like, look, like this guy has a lot of like, I don't know, like a Chase Winovich, right? Is he the athlete Chase Winovich is? No. Okay. But the motor is exactly the same. And the F like the work rate is just crazy. He had a couple plays where like, he forced throwaways just because he just kept working and working and working and working his way in there. That guy's going to take apart whoever the tackles are for Howard. Like, I mean, again, and like 
maybe Iowa too. Like it's th- that guy is a crazy work rate. Sokka was a monster out there. Like that guy's growing by leaps and bounds. Um, and <clears throat> the back seven continued to be the back seven. Like Turner, I think Brad um, uh, Bradley Locker pointed out on Inside NU, Turner's currently like one of the highest graded safeties in the country. Yeah, top, he's had top, two, top 10 grade on tackling. Yeah, he's had two phenomenal weeks. We know what the, the, front, the front three guys are. Corners have been good. Um, it was, and I like, like Soares is an example of a guy where you have to think, right? Again, it goes back to what Scuzz was saying and Braun. It's like when Soares comes on the field, Soares comes on the field knowing Braun is bringing me on because he sees something and I'm going to be used to maximum effectiveness here. And that might be a defensive end and that might be a linebacker, but I'm about to go to work. Because my guy sees something, and I'm being a, I'm a weapon that's being brought on field here. And again, it's like all of these things added together to cook UTEP in this game. Dimmel had the wrong view. He again, I don't blame him. He had the same view that we all had coming out of the Rutgers game, which was like Northwestern didn't get anywhere close to the quarterback. But the reality is. Braun had pieces he could use, and all he needed was a coach to commit to throwing the ball, and, and he took him apart. It was awesome. Let's talk about the offense. <laughs> Let's. Oh, buddy. Let, 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 me, let me start here. So, uh, few and far between are the games where Northwestern has scored 30-plus points Yeah, in the last few years. I'm going to highlight a couple of them. Um, 2021 against Ohio. And I think people are going to be quick to be like, oh, well, this is just like when we beat Ohio in 2021. We're still a garbage team. They were a garbage team, yada, yada, yada. I'm here to tell you this UTEP team's a hell of a lot better than that, that Ohio team was, just first and foremost. Um, second, Maryland in 2020. We opened the season scoring 43 points on Maryland. We all thought our offensive, uh, defensive dreams were, were finally coming true. It was not to be. Um we scored 30 back in 2019 against UNLV, the game where um, Drake Anderson went off, uh, if you recall, for 141 yards. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end uh, when I go all the way back to 2018 against Wisconsin when Northwestern fourth scored 31 points. Those, those first three I mentioned, the Ohio in 21, Maryland in 20, and UNLV in 19, all three of those games were, were f- featured this aspect the Northwestern scored a bunch of points in the first half and got up and then really dialed things back in the second half and happened to put away a couple more scores and ended up with with 30 plus points at no point in any of those three games were significant like adjustments or changes in strategy or approach made to unlock offensive scoring and at no point did Northwestern really put the pedal down to end a game and close it out. The last time that even kind of happened was that 20, uh, 2018 game against Wisconsin, where at halftime the score was 14-10, and you came out in the third quarter and scored the next 17 points to, to basically end it before, you know, with what, midway through the fourth quarter. Um, that's a mentality that starts with the coaching staff and is imbued into the players to make plays and attack and what we saw on Saturday was, was not just a 
not just some personnel moves that helped unlock the offense, but much like we described on the defensive side, trying different things, exploring different ways to either to deal with pressure, to attack in the running game, and a couple of really effectively thought out, well-executed trick plays, which has been a absolute bugaboo for Mike Bajakian in his, in his time at Northwestern. Um, and, it, and it all came together. And maybe this is the one time that it all comes together perfectly, but I felt like I saw some things particularly the, the the adjustments, which like our friend Jay Sharman was saying, like, I haven't seen adjustments like that since we went, you know, since we scored 30 against Michigan State in the second half of 2016. Um, I, I felt like you saw some things from a coaching process, strategy, a willingness to, to play some younger players um, when when some, some more senior players were struggling. I, just some exciting use of, of players in new and different ways that was thoughtfully put together. I don't think we've seen that on the offensive side in, in quite a while. Yeah. And I mean, I'm so excited to go through it again, like the defense to go through it chronologically. I mean, I'm almost positive UTEP scripted their first drive. I have a really strong feeling that Northwestern did the same, at least in terms of maybe not totally scripted, but had a couple different things. I, but, I feel like that that's commonplace these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, everyone is coming but, off. No, but, with that said, even in the first drive, um, a couple interesting things. So obviously, let's get into it right now, what what we said last week, specifically like what I was talking about last week, relative to thinking that Brendan Sullivan was the better choice, at least for this game, not because of anything against Ben Bryant, but because like it, he was getting pinated against Rutgers. It was like, we have a, a guy who can't move and we can't protect him. One of the things on the scripted drive, in the in whether it was scripted or not, that first drive that Northwestern scored a touchdown in in the first quarter. One interesting thing was one of the huge benefits we saw to potentially bringing a Brendan Sullivan in would be he gives you the threat to run. And it seems like the idea was like, well, Ben Bryant's slow, but what if we just act like he's the exact same threat? And you know what? Kind of an interesting idea. Um, The point is to get them to respect the run. And Ben Bryant showed a willingness on that first drive, he kept it on a read option and ran up the middle and let the record show Ben Bryant ran a fake jet sweep in this scripted play. <laughs> when Jack Lausch came on the field, Ben Bryant went wide and then faked a jet sweep, which I was like, fantastic. Like, I mean, it's like you're at least doing crazy things out there. But after that first drive... Um, which again was a dynamic drive. I think Northwestern kind of settled in in the first half to what really, what I think we wanted them to do, given the understanding we had, and I think the understanding that probably Bajakian had of the offense at the time, which was like, look, that was a great opening drive. Now Ben Bryant's going to have to throw the ball a bunch and he's probably not going to get great protection. So we need to get the ball out. So you saw for the next couple of drives, they ran those quick slants, some of the stuff that we were looking for, being like, get the ball out, hike it, get it out, throw that ball. They ran, they actually put Joseph Hyman, they motioned him wide, I think into like five wide, and then tried to throw um, like a, a deeper out to him. But it was one of those, you run under it, I'm going to loft it, and the wind took it. But the point is like, Bryant got it out immediately. And you could see, it was like, look, get the ball out, get the ball out. But one thing that became apparent 
as the first half went on was Caleb Tiernan had improved a lot from week one. His protection had gotten a lot better. Not perfect, not amazing, but for sure better than it was against Rutgers. And it got to the point where on that crazy play where Cam Johnson broke like four tackles in the first half, um, you could almost see the thought process. Like, look, we're going to put Charlie Mangieri on the right to help out on that side. We're going to give Tiernan the left side. This play is going to take a long time to develop. Uh, and this is going to be the acid test. Are we better than we were last week? Because last week on this play, like Ben Bryant would have been on his face. And Tiernan gave Bryant just enough time, literally just enough. And Bryant, to the credit of him and everyone last week who was like, don't you take Ben Bryant out. He's the guy. Ben Bryant stood right in there and lasered one way downfield to Cam Johnson, and then he got lit up a second after he got the ball out. And it was like, that's tiny little differences making all the difference in the world. I want to add on that play, just because we mentioned it on a GIF, that Cam Johnson, who broke some like four tackles on that play, somehow wasn't the most impressive thing on that play because Charlie Mangieri chipped the defensive end and then ran 35 yards downfield and then pancaked a defensive back. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and good time to say, Marshall Lang was given player of the game. Deserved. Consider Marshall Lang an avatar for the tight ends as a whole who were phenomenal in this game, particularly blocking. But anyway, so it's like, with all that said, Northwestern only scored seven first half points. One one of the they punted Elliot like three times I think one of those times four four times um, two of those times sacks ended drives and one of the other times um, Cam Porter gained nine and they needed ten and that they had to punt on that situation but again like there were big improvements but in the first half breakdowns in coverage still killed two drives and that was basically why it was still 7-7 at the half well i was gonna say northwestern just they did such a better job establishing the run and i think like the 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 first drive of each half is kind of is kind of instructive um so the so the first drive of the first half right you've got what two passes and like six runs and really mixing it up um you've got henning on a jet sweep you've got the ben bryant jet sweep Lausch run action that confused people. You have the you know the Hyman play um, in in motion. Like like they use like so many times in the past. We complained about this with Mick McCall. I'm forgetting the name of the dude, but the the poor guy that would come in at wideout to run. Like the <laughs> yes, only I'm blank. Yes, I know exactly yeah, like, what you're talking about. I'm blanking to come in and be fed to the lions on a jet sweep. Yes, he like he uh, Jelani Roberts. Yes. Oh yep yep the Jelani yep. package. Ba- right. Like Jelani Roberts would get on the field. And it was like all of us, whether we we're on TV or in the stands, would be like, oh, no, Jelani's on the field. They're going to run a jet sweep. And guess what? The defense knew that, too, because if he was on the field, it was going to be a jet sweep. It was going to go to him. I think there was one time where maybe they didn't hand it off, but there was there was like the whole point of that is misdirection and, and stressing a defense and forcing them to pick and choose. And then, like, ideally, you're you're you know how they're going to choose and, and you you do the other thing. Too many times in the McCall area era, too many times in the Jake area era, it has been extremely and obscenely predictable. 
And the action you saw on the first drive that was scripted was was not that. They struggled to riff off of that, but then they did not abandon the run in this game like they did last game. It helps that they weren't down, but the the first drive of the second half, Porter just bruising people, mixing in Bryant in some nice ways. Henning still got the ball on that drive. Like this is yeah. this this is just smarter offensive play calling and design, and I can't help but like like this is an end of one. It's one observation in in you know however many years uh, of observations. But last week, when asked about the offense, David Braun said simply, "I expect those guys to come back with the right game plan next week." I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I can't remember exactly the words he used, but but he he there was no deflection. There was no defense. It was just like basically, I expect them to do better. And guess what, folks? They came back and they did better. There, there I, was one other adjustment that I, oh, I think we really do need to call. Oh on. yeah, 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 hundred percent. Oh yes. Um, oh yes. You know, one big, one other big change that happened after halftime was uh, Josh Thompson went in at right tackle, and I, something changed. I mean, I, again, we're not saying. This all flipped because Josh Thompson came in at right tackle. It's one guy at one position. And but it's, but it's we're on, also not not saying and that. We're also saying he came in and then Northwestern scored touchdowns on four straight drives. That's the other thing that we're saying, okay? Um, he and he was, and I say this as someone who has OD'd on this tape this week, he was a massive factor in it. This is not Peter Skaronsky. This is not someone who's coming out and ragdolling everyone. But it's two things. He did everything right. And if you were to tell me that he and Dom D'Antonio were roommates, I would not doubt it for a second. Those guys operated in smooth tandem on the right side of the line that entire half. And it wasn't just that it happened. It was we could see it from the stands and you could see but Jakeian realizing it and like Bryant realizing it and you could just see it all crystallizing in real time on the field. And again, like it was obviously Thompson was a big piece of it, but for whatever reason with him as a big factor, everything clicked and suddenly UTEP couldn't get to the quarterback and you could watch that first drive of the second half and 20 yards in, you can already see that suddenly, like, Bajakian's going, oh, man, they can't get to the quarterback now. And he ran, like, a deep in suddenly, like a like long developing play, and Thompson just cooks him. By the time they get to, like, the, like the UTEP, I don't know, what was it, like the 25-yard line? And, like, I'm not even kidding. Like, you could see how smooth it was working. That by the time they got to that point, Bajakian dialed up a double move. And it's like the dirty secret about double moves is against man coverage, double moves almost always work from a coverage standpoint. The reason you don't call double moves all the time is they take frigging forever to run. And you can't run them if you can't protect the quarterback well. And on that play, which was the Thomas Gordon touchdown, that play took forever to run. It was like, I think it was like a fake 
wide receiver screen to Henning to the left, and that was the pump action. And then they had a wide receiver dragging the corner and the safety out of frame so that Gordon could get wide open on that play. The whole thing took a long time to run. And on the right side of that line, the defensive tackle and defensive end for UTEP stunted. And they did like a, a, like a crisscross braid stunt. And D'Antonio and Thompson dual checked the defensive end. They knocked him down. And then Thompson doubled back and picked up the tackle. It was like amazing. And from that point on, it was just like, oh, well, I guess that that's it. Like this offense is a smoothly working machine. And then they proceeded to annihilate UTEP for the rest of this game. It was unbelievable. I, I haven't seen us run to the outside with that much um, success or authority since 2020. And it's one of the things I remember distinctly about Cam Porter in the last three, three um, games of that year is his ability to run inside or outside. And... I don't know if it's because of the injury um, that he sustained or what, but like we just ne- we never went there last year. Like you, you didn't you didn't see the pulling guard action. You didn't see us trying to go out of the outside, and that worked very very well on Saturday. Will that work against more a bit against more seasoned Big Ten tougher defenses? I don't know. Remains to be seen. But um, it was great. It was it was it was great to see it. And it's and and again, like this is smart coaching, not, not being, you know, married to what you decided coming into the game, being willing to adapt, being willing to try things, being willing, like looking for what will work and putting guys in, in places where they can succeed. And we have not really seen that in a long time from Northwestern. Well, so like, let's take a perfect example of that, right? So Northwestern marches down first drive, the second half scores that touchdown, then they get the pick and the short field drive. But that leads to Bryant hurting his shoulder, right? And then Ryan Holinsky comes in because Ben Brendan Sullivan was also out for that game. By this point in the game, Bajakian understands that his protection is so much better that with his third string quarterback at the at basically our own, what was it, 15, 15 yard line? line. 15, 15 yard line. line. He calls a play that got Bryant drilled into the turf. The week before that somewhat late breaking screen to the right and multiple things. One, they executed it way better. You can watch Hyman and be like Hyman shaved a full Mississippi off of the timing of that play from the week before. It just ran. And Ryan Halinski ran that screen like he had been waiting to run it his entire life. He literally, like, it's amazing. He's, like, he ran it almost like he's, like, I'm only going to. It's like he knew he was only going to get to throw one pass in this game. And, again, he could have thrown more, but all he needed to do was hand off and wave to running backs running off into the distance for the rest of the game. But he executed that play so perfectly. He uses his legs to buy himself the exact time he needs he gets the timeout perfectly. The execution of that play was perfect. Hyman caught it at the exact right moment, turned up. And I mean, I was, there's nothing like the feeling. Takes me back to the old Venrick Mark days. And I mean, shouts to Evan Hall. He had plenty of this too. But there's nothing like a guy being 15 yards into a play and you know he's going the other 70. It's just, 
Just like all of us in the stands being like, he's gone. And that was way before he split the other guys. But it was the execution. And it was Bajakian being like, this is a totally different situation than the week before. Watch us cook them with this play. And and they did. Um, and then the for all of that, the best, really, I mean, I'm, I probably would say it's my favorite moment as a Northwestern football fan since the Nebraska game. Probably pretty easily my favorite moment um, is the drive to score 35 points. That's one of the prettiest drives I've seen in the past five years of Northwestern football. We stuffed UTEP on a fourth and one, 91 yards away from their end zone, and then broke them over our knee. It was unbelievable. It was all with runs. Every single run was to the right side, and everything Scuzz has been hey, screaming about. John, who is who is playing the right tackle at that point? Yeah, it's Josh Thompson still. And I mean, can, can I call yeah. out who was playing some other positions? Yeah, Please. carrying the ball on most yep. of that drive. Cam Porter, yep. also receiving the ball on that drive. AJ Henning, our two most important and and tenured and seasoned playmakers in the fourth quarter of a game. Yep, up three touchdowns. Let me tell you too, AJ no, Henning, no right? turtle shelling, nope. no no like sportsmanshipy. I want to win by one score. BS. Putting was, the pedal to the floor and ending the game. It was poetry, this drive. It was it was everything we wanted. It starts with Thompson and D'Antonio blow a hole in the right side of the line. They abuse the end in the tackle, and Cam Porter goes for big yards. So now those two guys are underwater. They know they're at a disadvantage, and they have to sit on anything Porter does from that point. And Bajakian cashes that ticket immediately. He runs Lausch onto the field. And they like I love how like they do it without taking the other quarterback off. Good. Just like the like run it on there. Like don't do the slow breaking like here comes the Wildcat quarterback. Here comes the Wildcat. No. They sprint him on. They take one personnel off, one guy off, and they go. And they optioned Porter right at those two guys. And number 23, the defensive end, who's not blocked on that play, stands flat-footed while Lausch runs right by him. This is how a dynamic offense is supposed to work. It's steps. It's unbalancing a team, and they don't know what you're doing. And after Lausch scored that play, ran that play, we were about 30 yards out from the end zone, and we might as well have been at the one. They had no idea. That drive was over after that play. The next thing that they do, and again, to everything we're talking about, Henning ran that jet sweep motion multiple times to the left, multiple times to the right in the game. And he got the ball sometimes, and he didn't go get the ball sometimes. So the next play... They immediately run jet sweep option to the left and they don't give it to Henning. And the defensive end and the tackle on the right side just get caught watching Henning. And then Thompson and D'Antonio obliterate those guys into the middle of the field and Porter goes for another 12 or 13 yards. 16. Yeah, 16. And now it's over. Now, like, UTEP at this point has no idea what's going to happen. I, I guess who play. gets the ball in the next yeah. play. And Henning it's gets AJ it. Henning. Yep. It was glorious. I mean, it was 
Exactly. And this is what we talk about. You don't have to balance run or pass. All you have to do is not let the defense know what's going on. It was abuse. UTEP just waved a white flag and we're like, we have no idea what you're about to do. And, yep. uh, and I, yeah. I, I said on last week's pod, I, I think I was talking about Colorado at the time, who just, you know, for anybody who's, who's wondering why I'm bringing up Colorado, like Colorado does not have a dominant offensive line. This is not a place on their team where they brought in a ton of high-profile transfers uh, from, from the portal. They have a bunch of barely recruited 280-pound dudes on their offensive line. It is not a dominant offensive line. You can have a dominant dynamic defense without, or offense without a great offensive line. You just need to use your brain. The Northwestern coaches used their brains this week. A+. Plus. Speaking of the Northwestern coaches, too, I want to make this point because we talked about it on Twitter today, but it deserves mentioning here. So Braun, like any coach, like Fitz, like whoever, like gives press conferences, gives his Monday presser every week. And in this week's presser, they asked him about right tackle and they asked him about Josh Thompson. And if you read the transcript from that press conference and they ask him the way it reads, the way you hear it, if you read his response is like, look, like we're doing it by committee. Like we knew we were going to be rotating Thompson in, in this game that we had the hot hand on offense, the offense is rolling. So we stayed with him. You know, line is going to be a committee going forward. That's how it read. If you read the transcript. If you watched Braun answer the question, what you heard was, Josh Thompson was unbelievable in this game. I love that guy. It is really important to me to always have a group of guys ready to go and to develop those guys as much as possible. And I'm going to always try to take the best steps to do that, right? Like Braun, in a larger sense, in these press conferences, Braun is an open book. Like, you can read his responses, but if you watch and listen to him, and this is why we say, like, watch Braun, watch the press conferences, he does everything possible to help you understand and to give you a clue what his thought process is through his delivery, through his mannerisms, and through the way he answers the question. And, like, again, with this right tackle question, he was able to, he made it very clear, one, he really values taking every opportunity to get as many guys in that rotation as possible because he feels he's Wait, going hang to on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You can have rotation. Yeah, I, I, it's crazy, I know. You, you can you can you can play multiple Wait. I know. That 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 can't be right. Check but, the rule book. That can't be right. Right. But I mean, if you watch him, he was as in love with Josh Thompson's performance as the rest of us. He very much gets it. Um and and again, like it's Braun like laurels to him. That dude won the day. He got his first home win, and he earned it. He thoroughly outcoached the guys on the other side of the ball. And again, credit to Mike Bajakian, who took a big step up in this game too. But I mean, like, the players earned this one. The coaches earned this one. Like, that's like, it's how you take a team that was favored and you beat the brakes off of them by 31 points. Um, it's with an effort like this. And I don't think anyone who would came out of last week uh, the game against Rutgers, if you asked anyone what would be the outcome tonight or uh, this week, anyone who said Northwestern would blow out UTEP is lying. No. I mean, and again, yeah, like... I, that, that was that was not on the bingo card. And I think it is it is it is one of these that is so important in both college and professional football. Like you can't overreact to week one. And 
I I feel like I might be a little guilty of of overreacting to week one, but I was probably preconditioned in just how concerned we were about this team and and the fact that we you know we haven't seen a Mike Bajaki in offense do this previously. Um, we hadn't had a, a chance to see um, David Braun and the defense adapt um, and and learn as they go. And uh, but the guy, I mean, they 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 passed this test with flying colors. The execution from the team, like like I know, like I remember I remember when we talked to Dan Person many, many years ago and he, he talked about, you know, frustration with not seeing players on the field making plays or, or he talked about like, Hey, if you're, you know, if you're out there and, and you're a receiver and they're covering you a certain way and, and like, you got to go back to the sideline and say, Hey, they're covering me in this way. Here's how we can, we can adjust or how we can adapt to that. And, you know, we're obviously we have no idea if that is or is not happening on the sideline. If it has or has not happened in the in the you know the years since Person was a part of the team, um, it certainly seems like a miss. But like, you got to think like like John, you 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 said at one point like, as these guys see plays start to work, that's going to boost their confidence. It's also going to like, they're coming back to the huddle saying, "Hey, let's do this this time," or "Let's do that this time," or come back to the sideline saying those things like that. It, it's infectious at that point, right? So. Um, and I say all that to, and, yeah. to to give a lot of credit to not just the coaches who had an excellent plan, great adaptation, but the players who who executed, played played with tenacity and power and um, and and it, it was a, it was a holistic, comprehensive, excellent effort, which is why it was an outcome thirty one points in the second half that we haven't seen in you know. Almost a decade. That's the thing I was going to say, right? Is like we had 391 yards in this game, but 271 of them were in the second half to go with 31 points. I mean, like they adjusted and kicked into gear. And the other cool thing, too, is like, again, 178 rush yards out of Cam Porter, Jack Lausch, and AJ Henning. That's a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver. And those guys are all going to get tons more carries this year. Yeah, Lausch doesn't start. But they got him on and off the field really effectively in this game. And again, everything Scuzz is hammering home. Just because Jack Lausch came on the field didn't mean you knew what Northwestern was going to do. And oh, thank yeah. God. And 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 again, it was. And I I think we were all like I know John, you and I were worried when we saw him come on. It's like oh, we know exactly what's happening, and it nope. didn't. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff. Ran like they ran motion out of him, jet sweeps. Like he faced, he faked a reverse to multiple guys, gave the ball off on a reverse to Henning on that touchdown. Um, they like they were they were dialed in, and again, like so many performances. I mean, the tight end circling back, Gordon caught that touchdown. That dude blocked like an animal in that game. Um, there's the close up. Like again, we put up a, a gif of it in the overall package of that thirty five point drive. Like. The, when when Henning goes into the end zone on that touchdown, like Gordon is obliterating his man, just drive blocking him out of the frame. Um, it was a great night for for everyone. Again, thoroughly earned for for all for all people. As much as I am loath to uh, to close the book on this, uh, we do need to look ahead to this weekend's game uh, at Duke. Um, I mean. What? How do you take this win and go on the road to a ranked opponent who looked really, really good beating a Clemson team that maybe be maybe be a paper tiger this year, pun intended. Um, but like you know, Duke is, is hitting on all cylinders, and they played. They've been playing really, really good. 
Hey, it's a it's a challenge. It like like full stop. This is a big challenge. It's why Northwestern is eighteen and a half point underdogs. Um, we said going into the year, like, dang nabbit, Duke looks awesome. Like I you know I talked about you know they did great things last year, and Riley Leonard only got better after they played Northwestern. Um, Duke has been a like a like a horror show of an opponent and 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 going to duke has been even worse um so this just ticks all of the nightmare boxes by the same token like how many times have we seen a a not good duke team beat a northwestern team that was better on paper like 2018 in particular comes to mind many times yep so like it like it's um it's hard for me to not have like a visceral reaction on this one because like I, on, on what on like my brain tells me that yikes this is going to be really really hard for for Northwestern and my heart tells me like this series has been goofy as hell for as long as I've been a Northwestern football fan. I mean I remember we lost to Duke shockingly my freshman year um, on the road. We were all stunned. I think I think I was at the Hotel Orrington. Watching that, I can't remember. We had we had to go to weird places to watch games back in back in nineteen ninety eight. But um, regardless, like the 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 seeds are planted that like I feel a lot better after this past weekend that that we'll see a a Northwestern team that's going to battle. They're going to try stuff. They're going to have some success. Some things are probably not going to work, but the chance that this could be a decent showing or an opportunity for us to even push Duke. I, I didn't think either of those things were even in play two weeks ago. And I feel a lot, at, at least a lot more, I don't know, maybe an optimistic is, is I'm not as resigned as I was to just a, a, a travesty of three hours. Like this, there's, there's some real potential here for at, at, at least like momentum building play and continued like growth on this team that can pay dividends once we get to, to conference time if not in this in this game against Duke with some luck. I, I am in such a weird place with this Duke game. I mean, it's so crazy. The The UTEP game had the power to do something that I don't think I would have possibly thought was possible about the Rutgers game, which is like, oh, for the love of God, if this team could go back one week and play that Rutgers oh, game seriously. again. Oh, yeah. uh, seriously. And, and in that vein, we don't get to do that but we do get to play Minnesota in two weeks. And not only that, it's a night game. It's Minnesota under the lights at home. And that is what makes this two game so difficult because suddenly that Minnesota game is of titanic importance. Um, And obviously like we'll have plenty of time to talk about that game down the road, but let's just put it this way. A team, this team, like an effort that beat UTEP by 31 points can sure as hell beat the Gophers by one point. Um, that is for darn sure. And that makes it tough because Duke is, I mean, right. Like Scott said, we could not have tooted Duke's horn any more loudly or accurately this summer. All we like, we were basically like, this team's awesome, might beat Clemson, will contend for the ACC. And then they're just doing all of those things. They're awesome and complete on both sides of the ball, and they have a great quarterback. Like, it's that spread is well earned. And I think, again, it's like there's a real part of me who wants to be like, look, 
individual efforts, individual improvements, a great chance to try to work some stuff out. For a guy like a Josh Thompson, hey, now you're facing an awesome Duke defensive line. It's like, this is like real tough test here. Um, While at the same time being like, we have no pressure and there is like, we could lose this game by the spread and come out and be like, well, they are an awesome football team on to next week. And again, like, like, yes, like to your point about this squirrely series, like, could this be an absolute programming defining win for the like David Braun era? Absolutely. It's just that I know the following week really has a chance to be a program defining <laughs> win. And like, well, yeah. Well, so I, I think there's, I want to harp on one thing and then get, get like a little more in the weeds on Duke. And, and that, that thing I want to harp on is like, we're all pretty excited coming off that UTEP game. I think I wasn't there, but it obviously felt good for you guys to, 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 to be back at the stadium, to see people, to get, to get to talk to people, whether they were parents or friends of the pod or just friends of ours, et cetera. Like to get back to a little bit of normalcy after not just a rough off season, but two really, really crappy football seasons. And guess what? The one before that, that nobody could attend. So nobody like, positivity has been in real short supply uh, at Ryan field since 2018 and for at least for fans. And I I just, I want to emphasize to everyone, like the Minnesota that you're used to seeing that can like run the ball down, down anyone's throats is not the Minnesota of 2023. I ain't guaranteeing a win or anything of that nature, but like do not allow this next week to color your potential excitement for two weeks from now. Now, if you're still not ready to go back to a game for whatever, for whatever reason that might be like, cool, I I get it. Do your thing, but do not allow whatever happens next week at Duke to change the potential positive outlook and, and the fun that can be had watching this team go up against a big 10 foe at Ryan field with a real chance to win in two weeks. Do we want to go any deeper, or should we uh, take a look around I, the conference? Well, I I wanted to hit just one th- like Duke, Duke's not a power running team, so much like UTEP, they're going to run out of the gun. Um, there's going to be a lot of misdirection. They're probably going to run some pistol, which you know um, could 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 be bad for any or could be like not great for NU. Like Riley Leonard is super. I was going to say it's like and, if you see Riley Leonard running past Northwestern guys, keep in mind that it's Riley effing Leonard. And like, yeah, yeah. But, um, but the you know the 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 Achilles heel of our defensive line and the de- and the defensive tackles and like the lack of you know big bodies to play to play there to deal with like rugged Big Ten rushing attacks. That's not the concern this week. The concern is that this is a team that's excellent across all three phases of the game. Um, really strong defense. I mean, they're averaging what four hundred and forty-four yards uh, of offense a game they're right just now. An elite um, football team. Like they might yeah. be the best team in the ACC. Probably not, but maybe. Oh, I, I ain't go. I ain't no, going. I mean, Florida, Florida, Florida State. Florida State. Florida about State's that. phenomenal. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm Carolina. just saying. Duke's yeah. in the conversation is what I'm saying. Yeah. This is as good of a Duke team as, like, legitimately as good of a Duke team as we've ever yep. seen. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. 
After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Simpson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. Yeah, I mean, like, so we'll, we'll see what happens. It's on ACC Network. Uh, so as you go hunting for the channels, um, I know in the Chicago area, uh, Comcast finally put ACC Network on. Uh, so, you know, if you're watching at home, you'll be able to do that uh, if you have Comcast. Um so yeah, 2.30 start, uh, definitely looking forward to that. Let's quickly uh, run through some of the other action around the conference, um, talk about what needs to be talked about. Uh, last Friday, Indiana beat Indiana State 41-7, to cool. yippee ki yay yep. uh, Kansas yep. beat Shit. Illinois 34-23. Yeah, that one, was, uh, that one was not as close as that score either. Um, Illinois scrapped it back a little bit late, but yeah, Kansas rolled them. Um, and this is where you keep in mind, Illinois needed, what, I think a fourth and 14 to beat Toledo. That's what's keeping them from being 0-2 right now. So again, like not to say, like this is, like, we will see how these things match up. But I mean, like... It, Illinois averaged five yards a carry. However, this team is dramatically diminished without Chase Brown at running back. Without their NFL yep. secondary, all four guys from last year are in the NFL now, and three of them were drafted in the first three rounds. So, like, they are a dramatically different team. Kansas passed all over them. Jalen Daniels, who was very good, twenty-one of twenty-nine for two seventy-seven, a nine-point-six average. They also ran the ball all over Illinois as a result of how effective their passing game was, and Illinois could not respond. Now, Luke Altmyer, he's got some stuff going for him at the Q- at QB for Illinois. This is not the same Illinois team as we saw last year. Uh, you had Michigan beat UNLV 35-7. Cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ohio State beat Youngstown State 35-7. Penn State beat Delaware 63-7. Wazoo knocks uh, off th- Wisconsin. This is the game. I, this is the game I really want to talk about. I watched a good portion of this game. Um, yeah, it was fun. So Washington State is a team that held Wisconsin, like beat Wisconsin last year, held them to like an obscene, like like two something, 2.6 yards per carry or something like that. Um, Again, held them down to only 3.1 yards per carry rushing this year. However, here's a major difference. One, Washington State replaced six of their seven front, uh, six of their front seven players on defense. They have basically one returning linebacker and one returning defensive end and everybody else is new and they still completely shut down Wisconsin on the ground and if you're wondering why that was Wisconsin does not run with the quarterback under center anymore they don't put the quarterback under center anymore when we talked about in our preview that they were going to the air raid and it was you know air raid is still it can be a single back kind of deal it can still feature a lot of running etc 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 they ran the ball 29 times against washington state 10 of those were tanner mordecai scrambles 
the Wisconsin Badgers have completely abandoned everything that made them successful on offense for the last 30 years. It's preposterous. It is going to be like, like I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, this team is going to be crazy to watch. Like shades of whatever year Bill Callahan came to Nebraska and jettisoned the the oh, um, yeah. triple option and went to a West Coast style passing offense to great detriment. Um, now Wisconsin still has a lot of good, really, really good players and decent and is decent on defense. Tanner Mordecai has got some real, real pop to him. Uh, Chaz Malusi and Braylon Allen can still run the ball from you know shotgun sets. Like this is they're not they're not feeble or anemic, but um, they've 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 cashed in every advantage that they had. Um, in terms of the current structure and, and, and pedigree of their team, it, I said this in the preview again, like I still believe that this is like, this is a good thing for them long-term because it's going to allow them to recruit and develop the type of playmakers they need at QB and wide receiver to really like try to move up to the next level as an overall team. But this transition period is, is going to be weird as hell. And maybe they revert as, as we go, like, like maybe when they get back to, more rugged Big Ten defenses. They go under center more often, but um, but right now, like, whoa, Nelly, this this Wisconsin team could not look further from what you're used to seeing, and it's why they lost the game. I mean, like they like uh, on the other side, like they could not stop Cameron Ward, the the quarterback from Washington State. They figured it out in the third quarter and kind of got back into it, but it's basically because Tanner Mordecai played like a great quarter throwing the ball. Well- and but they remember, couldn't sustain like, it. the book on Wisconsin's defense coming into this season was that you could throw on them last season, and you were probably going to be able to throw on them this season. Like Wisconsin doesn't have the luxury of just like getting cute on offense and trying to figure it out because people are going to throw on them. Yep, had the, the game-winning touchdown scored by former Wisconsin Badger running back Nakia Watson. Wow, Colorado thirty-six, Nebraska fourteen. <laughs> Let's go. Hoo-ah. The big thing about the big thing about this one for me is I, I look. I know, like, like literally, Shadur Sanders is about to melt on the field. He's so hot. But the book on Colorado coming out of game one was like their offense was unbelievable and their defense was not good. Well, we still don't know the answer to that question. But what we do know is it's way better than Nebraska's offense is. <laughs> I mean, like. Nebraska punching itself in the face will never get old. No, like, this sure is won't. just something that like, but I do kind of feel yeah. bad for Jeff Sims because um, this is the guy who transferred Nebraska from Georgia Tech. Had a pretty good first week against Minnesota, but some some rough turnovers and a couple rough moments. Um, looks kind of one dimensional in terms of like, you know, real good running the ball. Um, some struggles passing. He just he had a he had a fumble he got hit fumbled the ball Colorado recovered they scored a touchdown and then he came back out and just had a complete and total meltdown like missed a read um, which resulted in I think a run for no gain or maybe a little bit of a loss then had a delay of game and then threw a pick and um, kind I feel for the guy but then on top of it Nebraska is just they're they're not. They're not firing on all cylinders right now. We expected that that this was going to be a real like tear it down and build it back up again effort for Matt Rule. We think I I still think in the long term it's gonna like it's probably gonna be fine because Matt Rule's a good coach. Um, 
but yikes, they uh, they don't look so big. Big West football, folks. Uh, big Ten West football, not not uh, yeah, heights I mean, right now. Nebraska's no. following the script, and from you know, for our own hopes and dreams, like it's looking good right now. Uh, Purdue beat Virginia Tech 24-17, a game that was delayed like forever. Yeah, they need... Did you see? guys see they, that? I did. They need, They needed this one. Um, it was there. Yep, I mean, did. and you can kind of see, again, like they're... Like Fresno State is like probably about the level of like a low to mid Power 5 team, which is where Virginia Tech is, which is where Purdue is. You can see those three teams are all like whisker close and... They pulled that one out, but I mean, like, your Virginia Tech's been an awful football team as of late, and again, it's like, if if we can hoist ourselves up into that Virginia Tech Purdue range, that would be enough for this team to massively outperform expectations this year, and we get that Purdue Boilermaker team down the road. So, so we'll see how both teams continue to develop. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Hudson Card played good. Devin Mockaby played good. But I, I think you're right, John. Like, this is like the, the, it. This is kind of what Northwestern is gunning for. It, like, if we can get up to that level, like a, a, mid, a mid-division finish yep. is plausible. Iowa beat Iowa State 20-13. to 13. <laughs> Look away. Look away, children. Um, it's one... It was it was ten it was ten seven last. One of the things we were joking about is that uh, it's kind of a joke. It's it's not really fair that Brian Ferentz gets to count defensive points towards this twenty four point mark that he has to be, or what is it, twenty five points that he has to be hitting because he scored thirteen points in this game and the Iowa defense scored seven points, which, as we all know, is absolutely par for the course um, and is the most. Hey, look, look. Relative to last year, um, they scored 21 more points on offense in week one than they did uh, last year. And then they've scored uh, six more this year <laughs> against Iowa State than they did last year. Unless the Iowa State touchdown last year was a um, was a defensive TD as well, which is which is highly possible. But I just I like. I, I am more bullish on Iowa. I think at this stage than you guys. I mean, we'll we'll see. But um, oh, it was it was an offensive touchdown last year? Good job, Iowa. So, uh, but they're still like their run rate is is quite a bit higher than it was last season. Um, I, so we'll see how we go. I just I think I think this team is is still got a lot say, of bullets. In the I don't chamber. know. Is you is it Luke Lachey Lackey? Um, I'm gonna say I'm going with Lachey because I'm a Northeastern boy and I'm I have friend Lachey. La- Lachey. He's. He's great. I don't. I don't know. Iowa's got a good tight end, and that's all they have. He's generating all of their offense I mean, yeah, they, on a week to week basis right now. T- tell me. He, tell me he, something he, I don't know. Iowa's got. You a, don't a think. Great tight end. You don't think McNamara is mean, good. Mac, I mean, that's what McNamara has to work with. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> like he's that. Yeah. Well, and, and like I, I, I guess to like to play on a theme, like, hey Iowa. You you can have a good offense without having a dominant offensive line. Yeah. You just have to use your brain, and I'm not sure no. that Brian Ferentz yeah. is capable of Agreed. doing that. Uh, Michigan State beat Richmond 45 to 14. Um, I don't want to go deep into it, but this Mel Tucker stuff it's, is pretty it's crazy. Gross. <laughs> yeah, it came out of nowhere. Um, that, you're right. It's a whole other discussion. Suffice to say, though, he's. I mean, he's 
quote-unquote suspended, but I'd say it's pretty fair to say the Mel Tucker era is over at Michigan State, and uh, that's just more flux for the... Con- I mean, I, I guess I would just say that, I mean, it is it is amazing that... I mean, irrespective of, of the details and everything, I mean, it was like, you have a Michigan State fan base that heard this and just couldn't wait to be like, push him out the door. And literally, like, we're two seasons removed from this guy getting like what a $90 million extension. Um, and the wheels yeah. have to say the wheels have fallen all the way off in just absolutely spectacular fashion in every conceivable way is, is an understatement. Yeah. It's, it's some serious whiplash. Uh, Maryland beat Charlotte 38 in, to in, 20. Interesting. Minnesota interesting thing on the Maryland thing really quickly. Talia, at least early, had a yeah. pretty bad game in that one. I think he threw a couple picks. Um, and, yeah, two picks, and, uh, yards yeah. and, a and I mean, it's like, obviously, like, he has total freedom to gunsling all day. But Virginia is a team that Maryland should for sure handle, especially at home. And, uh, you know, that's one of those ones where we need to see Talia cook. Like, it's like, let's get, let's see one of these vintage performances out of him. Uh, Minnesota beats Eastern Michigan, like I said, put a, let's put a, six. We'll put a, we'll put a pin in that one because I feel like we're gonna discuss that game a lot next week because of the comps that are involved. But yeah, they didn't. They certainly didn't look great. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm. Well, I mean, Darius Taylor emerges as running back, right? And that's the big, like he he looked he looked really good. This he didn't really run at all against Minnesota. It'll be really interesting to see if he is the feature back and how he does against North Carolina this weekend. Um, it's still my opinion that Minnesota is not a, a, a dominant rushing team. Um, but we shall see. I mean, they, they piled up 300, 300 yards on the ground against a, a very inferior foe. Um, so more to come. <laughs> and then Rutgers beats Temple 36 to seven. Yeah, the game was close earlier, but Rutgers rolled him down the stretch. And again, I think we were we were all very much hoping. We we're like, oh God, don't let Rutgers roll over in this game. And they didn't. They they put a, a handy score on Temple. And again, I think again, from Rutgers' perspective, everything's coming up Millhouse for them right now. This is as good of a season as they probably could have mapped out. So so Northwestern gave up two hundred and eighty five yards to Rutgers in week one. Rutgers rushed for 254 yards in this game. Yep. So just, I get like, it is very hard at this early stage in the season to truly calibrate against your opponents and their opponents, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I'm going to notch that. Like we, we said the defensive performance against Rutgers was very serviceable. And this is another kind of uh, mark in that column. Uh, moving on, moving to this week. Um, we got a Friday night game, Virginia at Maryland, Maryland, a 14 and a half point favorite uh, over under is 49. Yeah, again, that's the one where, like, this feels like we're waiting for that Talia breakout 300 to 350, three or four touchdowns. Like, I feel like he's got that one locked and loaded. Uh, big noon on Fox, Penn State at Illinois. Why I mean, is Penn State only a 14-and-a-half-point favorite? That I seems mean, low. Everything we've seen this season so far tells us that Penn State should crush Illinois. I Like, we'll see if that actually happens, but... Everything I've seen from both of these teams tells me that Penn State should pile drive them, and I don't care that it's on the road. Like, but again, I guess like now, like we're gonna see rubber meets the road. 
I mean, last time they met was the nine OT game that uh, Illinois won in twenty one. So oh wow, that's right. Uh, you got Louisville at Indiana. Indiana, so like credit to Indiana. Like Indiana's offense was god awful against Ohio State. Their defense was really good against Ohio State, and then both offense and defense were really good against an FCS team. Indiana has the right to say they're not playing bad football this season, and we'll see if that's true against Louisville. Yeah. Um, me thinks that Jeff Brom and uh, Jack Plummer know this Indiana team extremely well and are going to dismantle it <laughs> they're quite do, effectively. They're going to do you even think. better. They're going to do even better than Kyle McCord did in Week One. <laughs> yeah. Jack Jack Plummer having a resurgence with Louisville with his with his former coach from Purdue is pretty awesome. I yeah, have to say, is, I'm I'm I am full bore rooting for them. That is cool. Uh, you've got Georgia Southern at Wisconsin. Wisconsin a 19 point favorite at home. To Scuzz's point, are we going to see them try to throw for a million yards with Mordecai, or are they just going to take that, you know, just try to go back hard to running in this one? They're definitely not going to go back to hardcore running. They're definitely going to try to throw with Mordecai. Um, this is so Georgia, I mean, Georgia Southern beat Nebraska last year. Right. And yeah. James, and a, a ranked James Madison and Appalachian State. Like, this is a team, like, I, I think it's Georgia Southern that does some of the weird, like, triple I running and such. Um, I can't remember if that's Georgia Southern or Georgia State. I can never, I can never quite remember. Let's see if I can figure it out from the I statistics. Like, I feel like they um, ran a lot on on Nebraska. Yeah, so I like um, they're no, they're a more balanced team than that. They threw for four thousand yards last year, so that I'm I'm thinking of Georgia State. So like I, you know, this is this is this is not a a this is kind of like UTEP, right? This is not an FCS team. This is a reasonable football team with some talent um, that has knocked off some teams in the past and can put up some points and. I do not believe Wisconsin is going to go back to their to their, you know, heavy running pedigree. I think they're going to let Mordecai cook. I think he'll probably be fine, but it's going to be an interesting one to to box score watch. Uh, Minnesota at North Carolina. North Carolina only a seven and a half point favorite at home. That seems low. I guess we'll see. Like we'll see. Maybe yeah, the ghost has something is... more. I mean, North Carolina needed double OT to win against App State last week, um, and uh, now they're they're smarting from some players they're expecting to have that 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 have been denied um, by the NCAA, kind of infamously and and unpleasantly, I might add. Um, they got a lot of distractions going on. I it's it seems like they should beat Minnesota, but weird weirder things have happened. This will be this will be a really Obviously, because we play Minnesota in two weeks, this is the most um, interesting game to be watching uh, outside of our own this coming weekend. Oh, they're going to be going on at the same time. So, like on commercials, flip, flip over, you know, wear out that uh, that last button on your remote. We got Western Michigan at Iowa. Iowa, like I said, a 28 and a half point favorite at home. Which is, again, as you said before the pod, that is a spread that is above the Brian Ferentz line, which means. E- even if Western Michigan scores zero points, Iowa still has to break the Brian Ferentz line to cover the spread. They lost forty-eight-seven to Syracuse last week. So, yeah. So 
I, I don't know what that, to gauge off of that. I guess like that will be a good barometer. We'll see if I was got yeah. 40 points in them. I don't know. Yeah. These ain't these ain't PJ Flex Broncos. We'll put it that way. Yeah, fair, 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 fair. Uh, Virginia Tech at Rutgers. Rutgers a seven point favorite at home. Huge. I guess game. A, I, it's a I huge guess a good bar- game for Rutgers. Yeah, and I guess a good barometer for Purdue, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like they're like again, Rutgers. I still don't think they're great shakes, but the schedule is working out perfectly for them. And Virginia Tech, they absolutely can beat this team at home and get off to a 3-0 start. That's definitely doable. Uh, Western Kentucky at Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State, a 28-point favorite. I'll just take this as an opportunity to say Ohio State has officially settled on Kyle McCord. And it is very much a, you listen to Ryan Day and he's like, we said we were going to pick one, and we've picked one, and it's McCord, and I acknowledge we have things to work out. And it's like, yep, you do. And Western Kentucky's a layup, but uh, they they have a, plenty of wrinkles to iron out there. So I, I, saw, I saw that headline. Like, had they not made that announcement already? I mean, what? No, they, he, he, had, he had said that they were going to, like, it was between him and Devin Brown. Um, you know, they were still deciding. And then now he said, like, Yes, McCord is our starter, period. All right. But here's the thing. Um, Western Kentucky thus far has beaten USF 41-24 and Houston Christian. Uh, is that next to f- Southeast Nowhere State? 52-22. to 22. Um, Their quarterback, Austin Reed, has thrown for, you know, 600 yards and six TDs. Um I, I don't know that he can do anything really against Ohio State to, to like of the same of the same element, but like we're you know, who knows? Yeah. I we'll see. Maybe they'll be a little feisty. Uh Washington at Michigan State, uh on Peacock. So uh you know, most people who don't have the streaming service don't have to watch this. Washington yeah, is sixteen I, point I, favorite on the hi, road. Hide your kids. Michael Penix is coming back to Big Ten country with a vengeance against a team that is reeling right now. Um, yep. He's he's going off. Northern Illinois at Nebraska. Nebraska, an 11.5-point favorite. We're so all Northern Huskies. Illinois. <laughs> yeah. The Northern Illinois beat Boston College by three week one and then lost to Southern Illinois by three last week. So, I mean, yeah. Who yeah, among no. us hasn't lost to Southern Illinois? <laughs> this is that's a very good point. Fair. Uh, Bowling Green at Michigan. Michigan, a just a 40-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. And uh, then the NBC game, Syracuse at Purdue. Again, it's Syracuse like... Syracuse, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. It's it's amazing, like, Syracuse, like Rutgers, put this schedule together where it's amazing where it's like they have this, like, string of coin flip games in a row, and this is, like, one more of those. It's like it's all there. They, they're playing a lot of well-balanced games. I'll give them that. But uh, I guess, the yeah, I mean, again, like, I, this one's totally, like, up in the air. But let's see, you know, if Syracuse gives them a good game, that'll make us feel even better about that one. Um, anything else jumping out at you? I mean, game day is in Boulder for Colorado, Colorado State. Um, interesting with Colorado playing Oregon the week after. But I, I think the week after is is loaded with games. 
Ohio State Notre Dame, I believe, is in two weeks. Yeah, I'll really... be attend. I'll be attending Oklahoma Cincinnati. Oh wow, there's That'll be fun. There really isn't too much more on the docket, is there? Um, I mean, Tennessee, I'm look Florida, but Florida's not good. Yeah, Florida's been bad. Um, yeah, I, yeah. The, this is this is not a this not is not a lot a of meat week. on the bones. Not a lot, um, which which invariably means something wonky's gonna happen. Yeah, cra- right? cra- crazy shit is gonna is gonna go like, down. Yeah, like Wyoming's gonna these weeks. Wyoming's gonna go to Austin and beat Texas or something like that. Yeah, that's 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 the first <laughs> one. If there's anyone who knows how to play a letdown game, it is the Texas Longhorns. Yeah. Go get them, Wyoming. B- BC knocking off Florida State. Yeah. Um, Georgia, South Carolina. That, like that's always a cuckoo one. Um, what else we got? TCU Houston that's Northwestern Northwestern Duke that's what uh-huh. there you yeah. go why not us why yeah. not us yeah um all right uh I know before we go I I do want to just quickly shout out the other uh fall sports for Northwestern we're having really really great seasons uh both men's and women's soccer are ranked and that's the first time that's happened in forever ranked love it uh, field hockey. I believe is, um, what, I, f- I forget. I forget the name, but one of Northwestern men's players was named Big Ten uh, Soccer Player of the Week too. That's awesome. I, and field hockey's in the top two or three. They're playing. They're playing awesome. I think Coach Fuchs just got her two hundredth win. Also, um, so they're yeah, they're the, the power that they always are. But yeah, I mean just. A lot of lot of warm fuzzies coming off of uh, this past weekend for Northwestern, which you know we haven't had in a while. So that's it's definitely nice to have, and well, you know let's let's keep it rolling. Why not, right? Absolutely. And so, like on on one final note on that um, on that note, as we mentioned, kind of off the top, the tailgate was fantastic. Uh, you know, like we really didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what the turnout would be. A ton of people ended up coming by. We had a bunch of great conversations with a bunch of different people. Um, It reminded us why we love running this tailgate so much. But specifically want to mention um, the parents of a couple players came by. And we won't name the the parents, won't name the players. Just say we had great interactions with them. And those interactions are really meaningful to us. They really matter to us. Obviously, this was an incredibly difficult summer for everybody and I, as we said, all summer, I mean, the ability of, of our family to come together and support each other and have those kind of interactions was a really big deal. And again, without being specific, one of the parents who came by the tailgate was the parent of one of the players who had an awesome game in this game. And after the game, we saw, ran into that parent again and got to share that joy and that excitement of that moment. And I mean, if that doesn't sum up why we do this, I don't know what does. Um, It's just, it's moments like that that remind us, you know, what is special about this family, why we love this all so much. Um, And, you know, it was great. And may this team get many more moments like that this year. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just kind of keep in mind, two weeks, Minnesota under the lights. Yeah, we'll maybe be cooking up something fun. Yeah, we'll be there. uh, Roasted gopher. Roasted gopher, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, No, no, let's let's go hunting, right? 
Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates. And email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh,